Okay, the scripture today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. And this recounts when Jesus was presented in the temple. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul, soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. As we come to the message of God, will you pray with me? Father God, be present with us and surround us with the knowledge of your love. Jesus Christ, word of God, speak your truth through me so that my words might be not mine but yours. Spirit of God, move our hearts to accept your teaching and be changed, moulded into your new creation. Amen. Many of you already will have noticed that my parents are here this morning. <laughs> they didn't warn me about this. <laughs> and 
and them being here makes the start of my sermon about ten times more embarrassing, so bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a story to tell. A few years ago, about five or six years ago, I dipped my toe into the waters of online dating. If you're not aware of what that is, it's a bit of a growing phenomenon among younger people these days, sort of a new way to look for love. What you do is you write a bit about yourself and put it on the internet and people then look for what other people have written. Oh, we're about the same age, we seem to have a bit in common, we don't live that far away from each other. So you'd send them a message, get talking and if things go well, hopefully you'd arrange to meet up in person and go from there. So my thought process was I'm not really meeting a lot of people my age who I'd be interested in. Most of the people I did know were already in relationships, so I figured why not give it a try. I quickly worked out I ought to just stick to Christian dating services. You don't see very many serious Christians on general dating sites and that was my highest priority. But even once I figured that out, I didn't have a lot of luck. And I have to say there were moments when I wished I hadn't even tried. (laughs) The thing about dating and the very early part of considering whether you want a relationship with this person or not is that I I think we all know it can be pretty emotionally painful if it doesn't work out. Especially if you have interest and it's not reciprocated. I remember one time I got talking to a young woman and it felt like we'd clicked, you know. She was nice, easy to talk to, we chatted quite a bit about hobbies and families. She lived south of the city, but it turned out we did know quite a few of the same people, pretty typical of Adelaide. And there seemed to be something there, so we made arrangements to meet up one time in the city since we were both at uni, a nice neutral place, and I went to all the effort I could. I'd found out she had a bit of a a sweet tooth, she really liked chocolate, so I did some scouting out and found a nice cafe known for that, if I remember correctly, somewhere on Gawler Place. We were going to meet up at one o'clock one Friday, everything was planned out, but then she cancelled on me. (laughs) She had a good reason, something family related had come up, but from there I quickly saw the change. Her messages were shorter and perfunctory, If I suggested catching up at some different time, she'd have a reason why that wouldn't work either. I got the picture pretty quickly. So it kind of petered out and I never heard from her again. Now, I can tell that story pretty easily now. It was about five or six years ago, like I said, and looking back now, it really wasn't that big a deal. I've had plenty of other embarrassing moments that I'm much less inclined to talk about. (laughs) But at the time it hurt, you know. When you put yourself out there in that way and someone rejects you, that feeling of rejection, again, I think we've all felt it at some time or another. It's not fun, is it? It's soul-crushing. When that sort of veneer of politeness and light conversation is taken away and you see what someone really thinks of you and those thoughts aren't what you wanted them to be, it's painful. And it happens, you know, it can be falling out with friends. It can be not getting a job you applied for that you really wanted. 
It can be realising that the community or club or church even that you once really loved suddenly don't really fit in anymore. Or there can be more serious consequences as well. We all know, we were praying about it just earlier, that there are parts of the world where being of the wrong race or religion or political stance or opinion or just the wrong place at the wrong time can get you ostracised or even killed. Regardless of how it looks though, it's hard to deal with. Rejection is rejection. Now it might not immediately be obvious what all of this has to do with the Bible passage Brunetta read for us of Jesus being presented in the temple but as we'll see over the next few minutes the encounter that Mary, Joseph and the infant Jesus have in the temple with Simeon and Anna is actually all about rejection. There's rejoicing in the passage but there's also grim warning of things that are to come. Because of Jesus, many in Israel will rise, but many also will fall. And Simeon says to Mary, Jesus' mother, that a sword will pierce her soul. This is the woman who gave birth to the Christ. And we heard just last week about what a blessing that was and how God gave her the faith to trust in him. Her soul is going to be pierced by a sword. Trouble awaits. And the good news here is that God does not leave Mary or anyone in their trouble. He works within that trouble and brings good from it. That's how Simeon can rejoice in the coming of the Messiah and how Anna can give thanks to God, even knowing all this. So we see three different people or groups of people who all experience rejection in different ways for different reasons and all of them are redeemed by God and given a purpose. We'll go through them one by one. We see the rejection of Israel, the rejection of Jesus Christ and the rejection of Mary. So firstly, let's consider the rejection of Israel. A bit of context is needed here. This entire episode is heavily overshadowed by the Old Testament. You saw how many times Luke referred to the law of the Lord. So to give a brief backstory, God chose a particular people, the nation of Israel, promised to be their God and gave them instructions on how to live rightly with him. Israel had plenty of ups and downs, but ultimately they failed to follow God's law. They did what was evil in his sight. And because of that, God gave them over to defeat and exile from their homeland in what seemed like the worst kind of rejection possible, cut off from their God and all the promises he had made. By the time of Luke chapter 2, the Israelites were back in their land but downtrodden and humiliated, suffering under the rule of the Roman Empire and they'd had no word from God in hundreds of years. All they had to hold on to was God's promise of a future king, the Messiah or the Christ, who would restore Israel's glory and reign forever. 
So this is a background for Simeon in particular. He'd been waiting all his life, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And God had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he will see the Christ before he dies. And at last he sees the boy Jesus and he knows the day has come. Notice what he says starting from verse 30. My eyes, speaking to God, have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So where Israel was once humiliated and rejected, and rightly so, they'd done wrong, they'd turned their backs on God and paid the price for it, God had not turned his back on them. They were rejected for a time, but not forever. And now Simeon saw firsthand the one who would turn it all around. Not only would Israel's glory be restored, it was in the sight of all nations, so that everyone, even Gentiles, non-Jews, would see God. God took what seemed to be rejection and used it in his plan to create the very opposite of rejection acceptance of anyone who would see and believe. And it wasn't because Israel earned it or deserved it. They didn't. Far from it. It was all because of God's own character, his love and grace for the undeserving. That's what he did with Israel. The second rejection we see here is the rejection of Christ. Now Simeon praised God when he saw Jesus and Joseph and Mary marvelled at his words but he then spoke far more soberly to Mary in particular. He told her that the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, even the Christ himself was not going to be universally accepted. Again, far from it people would speak against him. People would reject him. Simeon would no doubt have been familiar with the prophecies of the Christ which said that he would suffer and be ostracised. One we read from often comes from Isaiah chapter 53. There's a lot in it, but in verse 3 it says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. This was to be the boy's future, to be spoken against, threatened, abused, betrayed and finally killed. At the height of his suffering, he would cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? when abandoned even by his Father in heaven, God himself. And yet Isaiah would go on to say in verse 11 that after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. In other words, just like the Israelites, Jesus too will be rejected only for a time and would then be glorified. And just like them, his glory would lead to the acceptance of many 
as he bears the punishment for their sins, for our sins. Once again, God uses the rejection to bring good. But he also has another reason, as Simeon goes on to say, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is the double-edged nature of the gospel. It is life and salvation to those who are being saved. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Jesus brought out the good in some people, but he also brought out the evil in others. The Pharisees seemed on the surface to be extremely devout and righteous people, but their attitude toward Jesus in many cases exposed them for what and who they truly were. Judas was one of Jesus' own apostles, yet his nature too was torn out over time. You can look at his conversations with Herod and Pilate, with the rich young ruler, even with Nicodemus, who became a believer in Jesus but first had to be confronted with his own ignorance and lack of understanding. Jesus shines a light on the truth, and that truth can be ugly sometimes. That's why so many reject him, even today. But to those who believe, he is salvation. So we have the rejection of Israel and the rejection of Jesus. What about the rejection of Mary? This is probably the least clear in the passage. What does it mean when Simeon says a sword will pierce her soul too? Here's an interesting tidbit I came across when researching. There are quite a few different words translated as sword in the, in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. Since many different cultures and nations in those days had their own kinds of swords, each of them different and carrying different connotations. This particular sword being talked about was a particularly large and brutal one. The same word is used quite a lot in the book of Revelation where it generally represents extreme power and violence. It's also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7, which is another prophecy about the Messiah's suffering. Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. So these aren't just mild words Simeon is speaking they're very serious business. He's telling Mary this is going to hurt. She is going to suffer just like her son will. She will face hardship and rejection. The Bible doesn't tell us all that much about Mary's life, but putting the pieces together, we can gather that it wasn't easy. In presenting Jesus at the temple, Mary and Joseph made the sacrifice of two birds, either doves or young pigeons. Luke chapter 2 doesn't really make a big deal of that, but if you read Leviticus chapter 12, which talks about the provisions for sacrifice, being able to sacrifice two birds was actually an allowance for people who could not afford to sacrifice a lamb. It was for the poor, 
Mary and Joseph were doing it tough. In addition to this, it's generally assumed that since Joseph is not mentioned throughout Jesus' adult life, he very likely died before Jesus' ministry started, leaving Mary as a widow, relying on support from her sons. Now, the law of God and the prophets encouraged the Israelites to have compassion for the poor and the widow and provide for them. But over and over again, they failed to do this. That's why the prophets went on about it so much. People like Mary were looked down on or overlooked, left destitute. And then, as if that weren't bad enough, Mary would endure the trials of watching as her son was put in danger, rejected and executed as a criminal. Now, I'm not a parent, but I think any parent would say that if something bad happens to your child, you feel it too, don't you? So if Israel's rejection was a result of their own sins and Jesus' rejection was to deal with others' sins, then Mary's is just a reflection of our broken and suffering world. Bad things happen and people are cruel to each other. And yet, what's the last thing Jesus does for his mother while hanging on the cross? Do you remember that? In John chapter 19, he ensures she is cared for and given a son to take his place. John himself, one of Jesus' disciples, who takes her into his home after that. Even as Mary shares in her son's suffering and rejection, and there seems no reason and no way out, God still makes a way for her to find love and acceptance. He works things for good, even then. Has your soul been pierced? Have you been through hardship or felt abandoned or rejected? Is that how you feel now? Is someone you know going through that? Is it because of something you've done wrong and are bearing the consequences for? Is it because of something someone else has done to you? Is it nobody's fault and just the result of the world we live in? Whatever the case may be, this is a message. There is hope. It's a message we've heard over and over again this Christmas. God came down to be with us. He cares for us. And even when the worst comes to pass, he makes a way for us to be accepted, loved and saved. He knows what it is to be rejected. He endured it himself and he did it for our sake. So we can rejoice like Simeon did, like Anna did, because what we've always needed, the only thing we needed, is right here in front of us now. Whatever sword might pierce our souls has no power at all, nothing, 
compared to what God has in store for us. We'll finish on the note Jesus himself finished on in his final address to his disciples before being crucified from John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, a famous verse, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's take Jesus at his word and give thanks to God. Amen.